Father God, would you please speak to us now through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, we're looking today at how to handle death threats. I suspect that many of us may have thought, my mother is going to kill me if she finds this out. Or maybe we've had someone who has been really mad at us and saying in the heat of the moment and in their anger, I'm going to kill you. By the way, never say that to anyone. Never. However angry you are, to threaten to murder someone, even if it is just a threat, it has, it, to threaten someone to kill a person who's been made in the image of God, it is effectively to crucify Christ again. And if you have said that to anybody, then you need to say sorry. You need to say sorry to God and you need to say sorry to the person you threatened. And you need to ask God, please help us to control our anger. But there may be a few here, there may be, who have been on the end of a far more serious death threat. It might have been from a maniac or a stalker. It might have been because we have done something stupid and got ourselves in big trouble. It might be because we have crossed or threatened someone who is evil. Or it might even be a threat from those people who should really be there to protect us. That's the setting for our reading today. The Pharisees come to Jesus and tell him that Herod, the local ruler, wants him dead. Maybe they were exaggerating. Maybe they wanted to get Jesus out of their territory and this was the way they thought they could do it. But when someone quite senior comes up to you and whispers in your ear, the authorities want to kill you, that is scary. And Herod was no pussycat. His father was the one who had tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby and who had murdered the children. And this was the Herod who had had John the Baptist put to death. So, so how does Jesus react? Does he say to the disciples, lads, it's not wise for us to continue to work here. I think we better move on. Or does he ask James and John, you know, those two disciples whom he nicknamed Sons of Thunder, to start doing some bodybuilding and to wear the black jackets with the bulging inner pockets? And the answer is no. Instead, he does nothing. He tells the Pharisees, go and tell that fox, that cunning, sly operator, that I am going nowhere. I will stay here for as long as I need to be here, and I will continue to preach, and I will continue to do the work that God gave me to do. And as we read these verses, we can see that Jesus was driven by three compulsions, three big yeses, which trumped the no, however big and scary the no might have appeared. 
Firstly, he had a deep commitment to do the work of God, even when the calling was hard. Jesus says, tell Herod that I'll keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. And he repeats that today, tomorrow, and the next day pattern in the next verse. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Do you notice the inner compulsion to do the work of God? I must press on. And the persistence in that work, I will keep on. Jesus knows that God has sent him to do a job, to drive out demons, to confront and cast out evil, to heal people, to bring God's restoration to a broken and hurting people. And he came thirdly to die to drive out demons. The Jesus who we read about in the Gospels didn't come to cast out evil from the structures of society. He didn't speak against the emperor. He didn't challenge inequality in society. He didn't even question unjust and exploitative laws. Instead, he came to do something that was much more radical and much more immediate. It wasn't about them. It was about us. He cast evil out of people, out of individuals. He cast out the evil and the sin and the fear that grips each of us and controls us. He comes to set us free, free to worship him, free to love and serve others, free to be the people who God made us to be. And he came to heal people. We're talking something very physical here. Jesus enabled the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, and the lame to walk. He healed those who had withered limbs or who were disfigured with terrible, isolating skin diseases. And as Jesus touches people, literally, we see glimpses glimpses of what the Messiah, God's anointed ruler, has come to do for all people, for all creation. He unknots those who are knotted up. He unravels the twisted. He sets free those who are trapped. And he takes closed buds. And he loves them so that we open up and so that we begin to blossom. And his work was to die. He says, tell Herod, yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he has come, like the messengers of God in the past, to be rejected. He knows he will be killed, and more importantly, he has come to be killed. He has come to be that suffering servant who the prophet Isaiah spoke about 700 years ago in Isaiah 53. He's come to be the sacrifice, the one who came to die for many in our place so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have peace with God. That, I suspect, is partly why Jesus is so cool why he can stand so firm in the face of Herod's death threat. 
He knows he's already under the sentence of death. He knows it will probably happen in Jerusalem. He has lived with that awareness, probably since the temptations in the wilderness, even if not before. Herod couldn't scare Jesus because Jesus is already living as one who is under sentence of death, as one who has already died to himself. He's already given up his life to God. And the second compulsion that drives Jesus is that deep compassion for people. For Jesus, love triumphs over fear. These few verses open a window. When I looked at them, I thought, what on earth am I going to say about these few verses? But I realised they open a window and allow us to look in at the heart of Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. We call God Father. But don't be misled. That does not mean that God is male. God is far too, too big to be trapped by our understandings of sex and gender. And God's love is like the love of a father for his children. And his love is like the love of a mother for her children. Isaiah 66, 13, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And here Jesus is crying out for the people of God as a mother cries out for her wayward and lost children. It's the cry of someone who sees what her children are doing to themselves, of how they are lost, and it's the cry of someone who would gather them together so that she can protect them. This is a love which desires to gather, hold and embrace her children. So often it does seem to be the mother who brings the family together and who holds the family together. I know that Alison is at her happiest when she has her three children there together. And in our reading from Philippians, Paul writes of the Philippian Christians, and I think that he has a glimpse of this love when he describes them as those whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And this is a love which wants to protect her children. We often go on holiday when we're in the UK to the Norfolk coast. It's a breeding place for seabirds. And, and woe betide you if in the breeding season you wander onto the sand dunes near their nesting places. You will be dive-bombed mercilessly. Why? They're protecting their children. And this is a maternal love which is willing to die for its children. In 1987, Northwest Airlines flight number 255 crashed shortly after takeoff in Michigan. All 155 passenger and crew were killed, all apart from a four-year-old girl, Cecilia. She was saved, it was said 
because her mother shielded her with her own body. What led Jesus to the cross? Obedience to his father, yes, but just as much it was that deep maternal compassion for us which longs to gather us for us to be one with him and which would protect us from sin and death. And thirdly, Jesus was prepared to look in the face of death because he had absolute confidence in the purpose and victory of God. He says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are the acclamation of the people in Psalm 118 as they greet the coming Messiah, as he comes to bring in God's kingdom and reign of justice and of peace and of mercy. Now Jesus' words are not the declaration of one who thinks that death is the end. Yes, those were the words of the disciples and followers of Jesus when a few months later Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. But he's not talking about that. He's looking forward to that day when he has risen from the dead and when he comes again at the end of history, not as the baby born to die, but as the Messiah who has come to rule, to claim his throne, to usher in God's glorious and amazing kingdom. And on that day, all who have longed for him, all who have taken shelter under his wings, will cry out, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew he had to die in Jerusalem. I suspect he knew he had to die by crucifixion. But he also knew that he would rise and that there would be a day when he returns and when he will indeed gather his people to him. That is why he is not shaken when Herod threatened him. So what for us? I do pray that none of us will face a death threat like this but many of our christian brothers and sisters do face such threats and we will all face difficulties and oppositions pray god pray god that we may have the courage to face whatever comes in the power of the holy spirit with a profound commitment to the work of god to defeat evil and to bring God's healing. And although we are not called to die as Jesus was called to die, there was and there can only be one sacrifice. We are called to live as people who are dead, dead to this world and alive to God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes in Gulag Archipelago about how to stand in front of the interrogator with all his threats, all his intimidations, and all his power. He writes this, From the moment you go to prison, you must put your cosy past firmly behind you. At the very threshold, you must say to yourself, My life is over. A little early to be sure, but there's nothing to be done about it. I shall never return to freedom. I am condemned to die now or a little later, 
But later on, in truth, it will be even harder, and so the sooner the better. I no longer have any property whatsoever. For me, those I love have died, and for them I have died. For today on, my body is useless and alien to me. Only my spirit and my conscience remain precious and important to me. And if you think that is the counsel of one who is in despair, listen to his next lines. Confronted by such a prisoner, the interrogation will tremble. Only the man who has renounced everything can win that victory. That is how all Christian men and women are called to live. We are people who should be able to say to the world, especially when the world faces us with opposition, you threatened to kill me, but frankly, I've already died to this world. I am living for God. And I pray that like our Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have a growing compassion for people which longs to protect and bring people together into the kingdom of the risen Lord Jesus. And that we will have a growing confidence that the purposes of God can never be defeated. In, in our communion service, in a few minutes during the long prayer, I pray as we set apart the bread and wine, we declare the holiness of God. And then we say those words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're saying it of Jesus. We're recognising that he is here with us as we gather together and eat the bread and drink the wine. But we are also saying it in hope, in the firm confidence that one day we will see the risen Lord Jesus as he comes to reveal his kingdom, as he comes to finally destroy evil and bring healing to people and to creation, and as he comes to gather up his people under his wing. Father God, give us, we pray, a deep commitment to your work. Give us a renewed compassion for people, for all people. And give us, we pray, a confidence in your final victory. Amen.